You want to get out your Bibles and turn to the book of James, James chapter 2. So we gathered, the, gathered together this morning. Uh, I want us to think about faith a little bit. We're going to be going through uh, and looking at, sorry I clicked too far, looking at faith throughout this year uh, in topical sermons. I'll be trying to, to think about and discuss our faith so that we have a better understanding of it, so that we're more grounded in our faith, and so that we feel assured in our faith and our understanding of who we're supposed to be as God's people and how we're supposed to be living and acting. Uh, And we're going to be looking at James chapter 2 this morning uh, and thinking about what kind of faith we have. Now, we're gathered here in a church building this morning, so uh, the question is not so much who do we have faith in or what is our faith about, But the question is, what kind of faith we have? Now, there's many different faiths out there. There's faiths in uh, Muhammad and Allah, and there's faiths in Buddha. There's faiths in uh, ourselves and our culture and in nature and, and humanism, naturally. All kinds of different faiths out there. But we all have faith, if we're here gathered together, most likely, That there is a God in heaven who gave us the Bible and that He, through His wisdom, sent down His Son and that His Son died on the cross as we just looked at and thought about uh, during the Lord's Supper. But what kind of faith do we have in that truth? is the question I want us to think about this morning. What kind of faith do we have? There are different kinds of faith in Jesus, and we may not have realized that. And and until we studied the book of James in this chapter 2, that's not really clarified. We just kind of, we see that kind of vaguely as we look out. We see different kinds of Christians who, who live lives in different ways and have different understandings of Scripture and different ways of living their lives. And, and we can't quite put a finger on what's going on there, but James chapter 2 is going to help us with that. And also to help put a finger on the kind of faith that I possess as we evaluate ourselves and we think about what James is saying to me. Now, if you study the book of James at all with someone else who, is, uh, who goes to a different church or has different beliefs, uh, you'll notice this is a very problematic passage in our day. James chapter 2 is not uh, one of those easy passages for the, the denominational world around us especially as they study it. And really as we look at it, we are, we are challenged by this text as we study it uh, to try to understand what's going on. Because if we studied Paul at all, then we know the things that James says in this letter are, are a struggle to line up with the things that Paul says in his Roman letter or in his Galatian letter. Those things that Paul says that we're saved by faith and not by works over and over and over again throughout his letters seem to contradict what James is going to get at as we study James chapter 2. 
But I want to encourage you to to study carefully and think about all of those texts where those things are problematic uh, for yourself and make sure that you understand for yourself how these things all say the same thing. As we look at the book of Romans and at the book of Galatians, we're going to see the same kind of ideas are presented in those books that are also presented in James. Uh, And it was even read earlier uh, that... Paul said in in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death and the picture is to not continue in sin and to do good works, to stop doing evil. So all of these ideas that we're going to talk about this morning, as we look at books like Galatians and as we look at books like Romans, we can find these same ideas there. But James has a different approach than those books. Okay, So if you studied Romans, you've studied Galatians, and you've been encouraged by that to understand that uh, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved through faith, let me just encourage you to read in James verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. James is saying the same idea. As you hold to your faith, Hold to your faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. James has this same idea in mind. We are saved by God's grace through faith, but he has more to add to that. And why is it different as we look at this book? Well, we're going to notice James has a purpose in writing his book that's different than the books of Romans or Galatians. If you study those books, what you're going to see is Paul trying to uh, emphasize certain things in order to defeat works-only salvation. The Jews in the first century would have been uh, pressing on the people to, to do the works of righteousness that the law commands. And Paul comes in trying to help them understand if you think those works are going to save you, if you think you're righteous enough to earn this salvation in Christ, you're missing it. Christ's blood has been shed to forgive you of your sins, not because you're good enough, but because God is gracious and kind and merciful. And if you're focused on your works, you're missing what God has done on your behalf. He has saved you so that you might be saved by just receiving it through faith. And so he he, he doesn't mention or talk much about works because he's trying to defeat the notion that we're saved by the works that we do. James, on the other hand, is writing a letter to defeat the idea that we're saved only by our faith. So we're not saved by works only, nor are we saved by faith only, but we are saved by faith that works. Both of them are pointing to the same idea. And we'll see that as we study this text. The the purpose of James is to say, faith alone is not enough. If you just say you believe, that is not the end of the matter. And God is not then all of a sudden going to forgive you of all your sins and and forever uh, allow you to walk with Him in all eternity because you've just spoken these words in confession of, of your faith, that that is now enough. You can continue to sin that grace may abound. Sound like Romans? 
You know, Romans, Paul says the same things. They're saying the same things, but the focus on James is we need works in addition to our faith. We need faith with works. And that's his main focus. He's fighting against fake Christianity. He's fighting against fake Christianity. The faith that says, I am saved and I don't need to have works, okay? So as we study this, I want you to be mindful and understanding. This is where James is going. This is his approach in his book to help Christians understand what, what works are really all about in their faith, okay? So let's start by reading uh, the first four verses of James chapter 2. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and have, have become judges with evil thoughts? You see the picture here uh, that he's saying you're holding on to faith, right? You're a Christian. You have received God's grace through faith. And he says, I want you to make sure that you do not show partiality to the rich, but that you remember the poor. This is what... Paul actually points out in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. He met with James and the other apostles and they gave him the right hand of fellowship and they said only that Paul, make sure you remember the poor. Preach and teach that they do the works that show that they remember the poor. And Paul said, that's the very thing I was eager also to do. Paul is in the same camp as James that works must be in addition and along with faith. Faith in is, is supposed to have also works with it. The works here he talks about is partiality. Partiality. He says that no one should be partial to the rich brother and allow the poor brother to be ignored. Notice, he doesn't say, be sure that no one among you is a murderer and that no one among you is an adulteress or an adulterer. He says partiality. He points to a, a, a sin that we would commit in our heart toward a brother or a sister that we might be tempted to overlook. Partiality. Being just partial toward the, toward the rich and ignoring the poor. You skip down to verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoa, James, hold on now. I'm saved by grace through faith, okay? The fact that I'm partial toward the rich and, and not toward the poor, that's not going to cause me to be judged. No way. I'm saved by grace through faith, not because of my works and my righteousness. And James is telling us here, listen to this. If you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So here, 
James points to two major sins and says, if you commit this sin, you're guilty of the whole law. You didn't do this one, but you did this one. You're guilty of the whole law. And he's making the point, if we show partiality, small sin, partiality, we have, we have transgressed against the law, and now we're convicted of all of it. Wow, wait a second. <laughs> James, really? You're telling me that I will be judged for not keeping the law? Well, look again at verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. <clears throat> James is telling us that there is an expectation for those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, that they would fulfill the law to love their neighbor as their self. There's an expectation. And if we, we fail to meet up to that, there is a judgment that is coming. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13. <clears throat> he says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You, you see... James making it very clear here that all of us who are under the law of liberty, the law that sets us free from our sins, will be judged by the laws that, that our Lord has given, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Are we really fulfilling the royal commands, the commands of our King? If not... Judgment is coming against us. This is exactly what Jesus has said in Matthew 5. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've noticed this. As we studied Matthew 5, we've seen Jesus say these very things. I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he says, uh, the, the least in the kingdom, or the, the greatest in the kingdom, will be the one who keeps the law. The one who does the things that are in the law. That, that they have a righteousness that exceeds those of the scribes and Pharisees. The picture is that those who are continuing to rebel against the law will not be tolerated. But those who strive to keep it will be receiving mercy. Those who are showing mercy, the merciful, will receive mercy. It sounds a lot like the Beatitudes. In fact, James is a whole lot like the, ser the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> so, again, the picture of James is, is in line with other texts and other apostles who say the same thing, that if we go on sinning willfully, if we keep practicing sin without any care or concern about the will of God, then we are living in rebellion and we will be liable to the judgment. Remember Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you will be liable to the judgment. Even if you just do this small thing that does not love your brother, love your neighbor as yourself, you will be guilty. Now this is scary to us, it should be. We have to ask ourselves, are we law keepers or are we law breakers? And it's not just about marriage and it's not just about uh, murder. It's not just about adultery, murder. It's not just about those big things. But he's including partiality. Just like Jesus is including anger. 
and saying, if we're doing these things, we are living a rebellious life. Wow. Now that, that is scary to me, and I, I imagine it's scary to all of us as we consider and think about what, what is God's expectation for us? What, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live our lives? Well, he continues and helps us understand this a little bit better uh, in the more controversial text, in uh, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. Uh, and I'd like for us to take some time and, and dissect this and, and notice what he says here, because he starts to describe for us different kinds of faith that we might have. And, and we need to evaluate ourselves to see if we have a dead faith, a faith like the demons have, or a faith that makes us a friend of God. Let's look, first of all, at the dead faith. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In this section, he helps us to start understanding the problem that may be inside of us. He says that having faith without works is like telling someone who is starving, I, you just need to stop being hungry. Or somebody who's anxious over food, you just need to stop being anxious and that will solve all of your problems. And, and then shutting the door and letting them go. I've taught you what you must do now. You go and do that and all your food needs will be taken care of. I mean... That's as, as useless as trying to tell somebody, you go win a million dollars right now. Go get a million dollars. Okay, well, I can't. And, and, but I believe you will. Well, that doesn't help. It doesn't do anything for the person who is in need. And he's showing us that, that if we think that believing something will make that thing happen, if we believe it with all our heart, it will happen, and we're not willing to lift a finger to do anything to make it happen, it's useless. That belief is going to go nowhere and do nothing. If I really want the poor and needy person to be warm and to be filled, I would give them something to wear and something to eat. Stating that I hope you get warm and filled soon is empty words. What good are empty words? No good at all. They don't help anybody or help anything. We see faith without something accompanying that faith is just empty. It's useless. And he even says it is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If we only care about ourselves and we're pursuing ourselves and all of the things that we can gain for ourselves by showing partiality to the rich and ignoring the needs of the poor around us, our faith is dead. We have no living faith inside of us. The picture that Paul has given us in Romans is of a living faith, helping us understand a living faith is focused on the salvation given by God and then it results in all these fruits coming out in our lives. And James says the same thing here. A living faith is needed. There should be fruits produced in your life to show the tree is not dead, it is alive. 
Faith by itself, faith alone, makes no sense. And it's completely dead. He goes on and and says something really shocking. Look at verses 18 through 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see what James is doing here. He's he's actually kind of making fun of this idea. Of those who have faith and do not have works along with him. He says, oh, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. As though these two things can be separated. Does that not sound like uh, those who are just so focused on works. And then those who are just so focused on faith. And James is like, you're both ridiculous. What are you thinking? Who, who, would, who would think that you can have faith apart from works? It's not even possible. It's not provable. If I tell you I have faith in God and I don't show that I have faith by having a transformed life, I clearly do not have faith. I, I, I need to understand faith is more than believing something that is true. Faith is more than believing something is true. Then he, listen to this. This is amazing. He says that demons also believe. He says, you believe God is one. That's a doctrinal truth right there. God is one. It's right there in Deuteronomy 6. We just looked at it a couple weeks, a week ago in Bible class. You believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Wow. So the demons believe the truth. The demons know what is true. They have the correct theology. They have the right doctrines. They believe the right things. And James says they are understanding the truth. And not only that, they are afraid. Well, what kind of faith do demons have? They believe But do they act in a way that is is joining to a a trust in God and a love for God? We see here, believing the right things does not make us righteous enough to get into heaven. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, uh, but, but that's not all the Bible says about us. We are supposed to be a kingdom of priests who live out the truth that we are proclaiming. If we just believe the right things and and we don't live out the things that we believe are true, we believe that everybody should live like Jesus and then really in our lives, we are nothing like Christ. We're actually resembling demons. We, we know the truth. We believe that it is true. We may even be afraid. We may come to church services. We may read our Bibles. We may be studious and trying to do all the right things, afraid of God, but at the same time rebelling by showing partiality, by being angry all the time, by, by, by living without a love for my neighbor, without a true love for God, living after idolatry and all these other things that entice us. And we're really not faithful. 
We don't have the faith that is alive. We have a faith that resembles demons. It's possible to have a faith that believes the truth, the doctrine, to be even a guardian of that truth and to to proclaim that truth and to, to make sure that everybody knows this is the truth, but while at the exact same time not living it in our own lives. And James is trying to tell us this is, this is faith alone. And this is actually foolish rebellion just like those demons are doing. We're no better than they are. Well, we need something to help us with this. We need something positive, some kind of an example. We see how we can have a dead faith that is doing nothing even though we know we should and we're just saying we hope that happens. We see how we could have a demonic kind of faith that believes all the right things and we're studious and we know the truth, but we're not doing it. We need something positive to help us understand the right faith, the faith that that God is pleased with. And that's what he gives us in the next section. Uh, In verses 20 through 24, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. The only verse in Bible that says faith alone says he was justified not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So we've seen a dead faith is worthless and that a faith that knows the truth and does not act on it is demonic, is rebellious. But what does real faith look like? He gives us something here. He tells us about Abraham. And and it's funny because Paul uses Abraham as well in Romans chapter 4 to tell us that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. (laughs) And here James uses Abraham to say, Abraham was justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, how can these two things mix? How can they make sense? Well, it's interesting. When we look a little bit closer, it all makes sense sense. He tells us about an event in Abraham's life where he offers up his son Isaac on the altar. He's about to put his son to death. You remember that event? He's got so much trust, so much faith in God that he's willing to kill his own son. I don't imagine there's a single person here who loved his son like Abraham loved Isaac. He was waiting for that son for 25, 30 years. He was waiting 100 years. Really, he lived 100 years before he had Isaac. And here he is about to put to death his son. Why? Because he had a working faith. And something James says really strikes me. He says, verse 23, The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The scripture was fulfilled. You mean when Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, that was a fulfillment of Scripture? It was. 
In Genesis 22, he offered Isaac on the altar. In Genesis 15, God tells him that he's going to have a son. Abraham's doubting that God's really going to give him a son because it's been years and it hasn't happened yet. And God takes him outside in the middle of the night and shows him all the stars in the sky. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, can you count the stars in the sky? If you can count them, that's how many your offspring will be. And it says Abraham believed what God had just told him. He he beholds God's creation, God's power, God's majesty in the universe. And he looks at his situation and he says, yes, God can do this. God can give me a son. And at that point, he puts that trust, that faith in God, and God sees it. Even though he didn't act on it at that point, he sees it and God foretold and said... Your faith has been counted as righteousness. That he had a faith that wasn't a dead faith. That wasn't going to then go off and do whatever he wanted to do in his life and completely ignore the will of God, but that was going to live for God. And God knew that he was going to do that. And whenever the time came for his faith to be tested, he did not have an empty faith, but he had a living faith that would do the will of God, even though it was the hardest thing that Abraham could ever do, thus fulfilling Scripture and having a faith that didn't just say it believed, but that showed its belief in the work that it did. And Abraham's working faith made him a friend of God. That's an amazing statement right there. He was called a friend of God. What type of faith do we have? Do we have the dead faith that says one thing and and doesn't really follow through? Do we have a demonic faith that believes all the right things and I'm all about the truth, but then doesn't live it? Or do we have a faith that not only believes it, but also lives it out, knows the truth and wants to do everything that the truth says, desires to do the will of God at the expense of everything we hold dear? Are we willing to give up our Isaac to show we love God more than whatever that thing is? That is the kind of faith that makes us into friends of God. The last example he gives us in this chapter is that of Rahab. And it really helps to bring everything around to conclude. Uh, The faith of Abraham showed that he had a love of God more than anything else. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Rahab shows us a love for the neighbor that is like herself. Rahab, the prostitute. (laughs) I love how it makes sure to describe her has a faith that is immediately combined with her works. Here she is given this opportunity. Men come to her door. They're strangers. They're actually Israelites, and she knows all about them. They're enemies of her people. And and they've come to her seeking refuge. And this Canaanite prostitute risks everything to receive in the foreigners and to protect them because she has a faith in God. Notice that she does not just open the door and say, hey, you guys, I believe in your God. Don't get caught. Whatever you do, and then shut the door. 
That's not what she does. She receives them in and she gives them what they need in order to get out. She doesn't show partiality uh, to the rich and to those who may, may bring her great success in Jericho, those who are worldly, but she opens her door to those in need and shows a living faith in her life. So our question is, do our works reveal a transformed heart inside of us? Do our works reveal a transformed heart inside of us? Is our faith really living and active? What about us? Well, I, I hope that you, you get a lot out of this. As you study through the book of James, I hope that really helps to put into perspective the idea that James has in all of this. He shows us our need for faith and works. And I hope that you, like me, are asking yourself, what kind of faith do I have? And if, if you look at your life, and, and we see in our lives fruit, we see that we are accepting to the poor, that we are overcoming the sins that are in our lives, and that we're striving to be pleasing to God, that we're giving up our Isaac, we're giving up our idols, we're giving up the things that we love more than God, to love God more than anything else, and we're showing love to our neighbor rather than just being self-loving, then this is intended to be encouraging to us. You see... If our faith is being joined to works, that makes us friends of God. We can call ourselves God's friends. As we put away all these things, as we pursue the will of God in our lives, we are called friends of God. We're called the offspring of Abraham. We're like him, showing our faith in our lives. But if we look at our lives and we see that the works are missing. That we've just decided that we're going to hold on to faith and we're just going to ride that wave all the way into heaven while living our lives doing whatever we want to do. That we don't really care that much about the will of God. That we're not really willing to open up the word to learn about what God wants us to do. That we're not really willing to work on those internal desires of our heart that make us sin against God. If we're not willing to, to change our lives there's a problem. And even though we've received the grace of God, and even though we have shown that we had a faith in God by stating that belief, we have judgment coming. Judgment will be without mercy on the one who shows no mercy. We're not loving toward our brother. Is God going to be loving toward us? The last verse says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What kind of faith do we have? Are we alive or are we dead? As we begin this new year, I want to encourage each and every one of us here to be absolutely certain that our faith is alive. That we're not just stating we believe and then expecting God to somehow forgive us though we've lived rebelliously after that statement of belief. That we're actually following through on those beliefs, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. 
Now, I'll be the first to tell you it's not easy and that we're, we're making mistakes all the time and that we're not perfect, but our heart's desire must be to do the will of God in every aspect of our lives or else our faith is not alive. It's dead. We're just doing these things maybe because it makes us feel good or because uh, we, we, we wanted to anyway. We want to be a better person. Or we're afraid of judgment, like the demons. Instead, we need to rely on His grace while putting our trust in Him daily and putting to death the sins of the body, striving to live as instruments of righteousness to God's glory, so that He's glorified by all those living around us so that they can see how glorious He is in our lives. So that's the challenge we have. If there's anybody here this morning who has not initially put your trust in God, you can do that right now. You can enter into that relationship and you can show that faith that is active in you by submitting to God, by by repenting and turning away from your sins and beginning this lifelong journey. And you can confess your faith before all of those here and you and, and, and I can go into the baptistry and you can be baptized and all those sins will be forgiven to live and walk in newness of life, to enter into that struggle with all of us so that as as your faith is tested down the road, you can grow to the point where you hold true and show a love for God more than a love for yourself. And if you're here this morning and you've not had the living faith that you know you should have, we want to help you. Please let us help you. Please don't try to fight this battle by yourself. It's okay to come forward. We're not going to hurt you. We want to show you love. We want to encourage you and build you up in love and prepare you for the battles that are to come. And if we can do that in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing.